Well, hey, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm uh, excited to be guest speaking with you again this morning. We've been doing a series called Just Be. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Just Be Released. Now, the idea of Just Be is that it's about learning to change from a person who is focused on who they are rather than a person about what they do, per se. The good part about this is if we allow God to change who we are, then our actions, what we do, usually follows right along with that. Now, the idea of this series is actually kind of a tough topic. I mean, sometimes E3 tackles tough theological ideas, but this one is a little different because it's a little hard for people to wrap their head around. Um, Our goal is to give you practical ways to center your identity on Christ and live from that reality. But in in all honesty, it sounds kind of esoteric or touchy-feely, right? It sounds like something that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of patience, uh, and it's something that can frustrate our I'll believe it when I see it kind of drive through culture that we live in. Um, but it's important for us to center down and ground ourselves in some of these ideas in this series so that we can become better representations of who God wants us to be by changing the inside of who we are and have that reflect outward. So E3 could give you a list of things to do, right? Don't do this, don't do this, do this. And you can do those things and you can check them off. Your, that's what makes a good person list that you may keep in your mind. But that doesn't keep us from feeling empty on the inside or maybe a little bit miserable while we're doing all the right things that we've been taught or we believe that we should do. The harder work is to allow God to change your identity first. And that's the goal is to move from a human doing, a human doing things, to a human being, someone that's secure in who they are, and out of that security flows the things that we do. So today, we're going to be talking about praying for others, praying for others, um, out of Matthew chapter 5, why we should pray for others, why we don't want to pray for others, and then why we need to pray for others. So sit back, strap in, let's talk about all this good stuff, okay? So let's go ahead and get the elephant out of the the room here, which is that anybody can pray, give well wishes, pass along good thoughts to someone that they like. We all have people that we like, right? Now, when I use the term like, I'm saying someone you get along with, someone who mutually respects you, they treat you well, you treat them well, and they align maybe with your social or your political or your moral views. You know, people that we like, people that we choose to hang out with, right? Newsflash, no one is going to give any of us the Nobel Peace Prize for treating people that we like well, because we already like them, right? What we're talking about and what Jesus is talking about in this passage is praying for people that we don't like. Yes, those people, you know, the people that you don't like, (laughs) you know, the ones, the people we might classify as immoral or unethical or ignorant or, you know, just plain dumb. You don't see eye to eye with them in some way. People you don't want to be around. Those people in your social media feed that they just get your blood pressure going when they post stuff that, that you don't like are the ones that are a little more malicious, the people that say bad things about you, misrepresent who you are, or maybe slander your character. And then you have to smile at those jerks when you're in the grocery store because Tallahassee's pretty small. Hey, man, how you doing? And on the inside, you're like, I can't stand that guy. I can't stand that girl, right? Or, and Jesus has got our number here, people that use us for their own gain at our expense. 
Uh, these people drive me crazy. <laughs> Jesus goes straight up Chuck Norris in this passage. He doesn't just say, pray for people that you don't like. He says, pray for people, and he describes them this way, people that spitefully use you. In other words, he's talking about those people that prey on us as weak and people that can be manipulated for their own gain. Now, in our Instagram self-help pop psychology world of armchair therapists, everyone does something wrong for some, for some type of reason. It's usually got to be some big reason. You know, there's some kind of sociopath, narth- narcissistic, personality disordered, non-responsibility taken, horrible childhood having, manipulative psycho person, right? And then when we're up late at night eating a bag of chips that our doctor has expressly told us not to eat late at night, we're taking BuzzFeed quizzes and entering in their characteristics to see which villain they're most like on Game of Thrones, right? Y'all know everybody does this stuff, right? That's what we do. So let's go ahead and get this out of the way. There are some people like that. There are some people that are just disconnected and really, really bad people. I've met a few of those people. You have too, I'm sure. But most of the people that have hurt you are simply, they're two things, they're broken and they don't have the self-awareness to see how they might be hurting you because they're, they're human. Please stop turning everyone in your life that does something bad into Joe from that Netflix show, You. Not everybody is a psychopath, okay? You're wasting your time. Do you know why? Because nine out of 10 times, you're never going to figure out why people do the things that they do. Now, I'm about to save you some serious heartache with this next sentence. Do you know why people do the things that they do? Here's the answer. Because they're people. Because they're people. And people, even the ones that are doing their best to follow God, do dumb stuff that hurts the loved ones around them. Because that's just the way we are. And sometimes that's just the things that we do. Now, when we're younger, we can return the favor to these folks when they give us a bad time. Because we're kids, right? We can do some things like we can schedule a fight on the playground, even up the score. A little older, we can invite them out to a parking lot at a bar and start kicking some tail, right? We can steal their boyfriend or their girlfriend. That's a nice passive aggressive measure we can take. We can hit them after the whistle in football practice. I may or may not have done that when I was in high school. We can tell them exactly what we think of them using every dirt that we can muster in our adolescent and young adult minds, right? But then... Eventually, people tell us that we have to grow up and we can't do that anymore. And they tell us it's called being adults. (laughs) It's called adulting. And that's what we have to do. And honestly, it is a raw deal. That just means we still feel the same, but we're not allowed to say it because people would think that we were immature. (laughs) That's what adulting is. It means bite your tongue, let things go, because anything else would be considered adolescent or uh, inappropriate. So we do things like this. Rather than say something to a person's face that we don't like, what do we do? We tell somebody, but we don't tell them. We tell our friends (laughs) and we call it venting. (laughs) We pretend like they don't exist when we see them. We turn up our nose, pretend like they don't exist, which we call that healthy boundaries, (laughs) right? And when you do see them, we make empty pleasantries, right? We call this being polite. That's the adult thing to do. And we plan for a day when karma will come back around and work its magic. And if we happen to be able to play a part in that, all the better. We call this logical consequences. 
All of this behavior is considered mature adult behavior. And you know what I have to say about that? Thank God for Bob Dylan. (laughs) Bob Dylan did us a big favor. He wrote a song called Positively Fourth Street, and it is the best song ever to capture the difficulty of keeping those emotions inside as an adult when all you want to do is just yell at that that person. Here's a, here's a clip, a couple of verses from it, so give it a listen. So hurt, why then don't you show it? You say you've lost your faith, but that's not where it's at. You have no faith to lose, and you know it. Fantastic lyrics, right? They captured that. The, the, the struggle of keeping things in check, but then telling people what you really want to think about them and say, I know what you're doing. I can't tell you that I know what you're doing because I'm a grown person, but we all know what you're doing, right? So growing up in my family's house, we all love music. And so one of the things that we did when someone did something that was ridiculous or a little uh, un, not, not being self-aware, where we would infringe on each other, Um, as a family, someone would break into their best Dylan imitation and sing this song. They would sing the first line, you got a lot of nerve. And then everybody would bust out laughing. We would hold our family in check based on that. And, um, and it would help us stay self-aware and be aware that what we did to other people affected each other. So it was a fun way to do that. Now, the best sarcastic comeback, probably just one of the most snide comebacks ever in music, is in this last verse on that song. And the, the verse is, I wish that for just one time, you would be able to stand in my shoes, then you would know what a drag it is to see you, <laughs> which is hilarious. You know, stand in your shoes, you see him coming, you're like, oh man, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, uh, <laughs> right? It's perfect. It's that idea. I can't show you how I feel, but if you could just get a glimpse of what I really think and what a lot of other people think, we, everybody would know that we really find you just terribly annoying. <laughs> so adulting, it's hard to do, right? So in Matthew 5, what does Jesus say to do with the people in our life that have hurt us? He says to pray for them. Pray for people that have spitefully used us. And when I read that passage, I think, you know, Jesus, is there anything else (laughs) that you can come up with that we can do instead, right? That come on, there's got to be something better than that. And I'm not going to give you some theological loophole here because there isn't one. 
There's not one. Jesus says exactly what he means. And he asks us to do exactly what he says, which is pray for others that we really don't like that much. Why does Jesus want us to pray for the people who've hurt us? Well, for lots of reasons. So let's walk through some of them. Okay. And before we get into them, just a quick reminder here, we're going to be talking about some tough realities that deal with some of the pains that you may have felt in the past. That's okay. Absorb what you can think about it, sleep on it, mull it over, see what you think and see where God may be calling you to live and to do a little bit differently based on the past hurts that you may have felt. So the first reason is it's all we can do. Why do we pray for others? Because it's all we can do. If we are waiting on someone who has hurt us to wake up to their blind spots, apologize for their misgivings and say, I'll do anything to make this right. We're going to be waiting a long time. We need to stop living in the world of unicorns and rainbows because <laughs> people don't do that. People just don't do that. People generally stay the same. They generally stay the same. No much no matter how much we would like to change them, and honestly, no matter how much they would like to change. That's because people rarely encounter a situation that requires them to actually do any true soul searching. You can distract yourself, find new friends, find a different job, whatever the case may be. And so people don't really self-reflect on what their actions do to others. That's sad. But it doesn't change the facts. And the sooner that we accept that as a reality, the sooner we'll be on the path to healing. Praying for those who have hurt us gives us the chance to release those hurts and acknowledge that we really can't do anything about them, that we're just really not in control. Whenever we forgive someone, sometimes those feelings don't follow, right? Sometimes it takes a while. And for me, I've, I've Sometimes I'll, I'll pray for the same person for years, thinking, God, when, when am I going to get past these feelings? When am I going to get past these emotions? It seems like it takes forever. So when those feelings enter your heart, release those back to God. Admit to God that you're not in control of how you feel, that you can't stop the bubbling up of the emotions that you feel. That's the first part of this. And then thank God for loving you and filling you with his love anyway and understanding where you're coming from. Cry if you need to, scream and throw rocks at the sky if you want, whatever works for you, whatever needs to be done to get the relief that you need. You're not bothering God when you do that. You're being honest. And God hurts with us. He already knows how you feel. We're also not impressing God with our ability to hold everything together and look overcomposed. You know, some of us adult better than others. That's not impressive to God. What's impressive is that honesty. You're not impressing him with your ability to hold it together. So don't. No other human being on planet earth is going to be able to understand what you're feeling. But God does. God understands. The second reason that we pray for others. It's, God, it's what God wants us to do. It's what God wants us to do. Here's an interesting thought. God can not make us release the hurts we feel. I thought God could do everything. Well, God's pretty great, but God can't make you release the hurt that you feel in your heart. You have free will. That's the way it works. 
You're not a robot that he can reprogram. It doesn't work that way. Listen up. This is important for you to hear about the people in your life that have hurt you. God loves us enough to respect the walls that we've built out of self-preservation. He doesn't like them, but he respects them. He's not going to break them down for you. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only responds to invitation and God waits patiently while we remove those bricks in that wall one at a time, brick by brick. Picture this. Every time you feel that twinge of pain associated with a historical event in your life, every time you see that person that drives you nuts in the grocery store and you feel that twinge of resentment or bitterness, it's an invitation to turn to God and to take down a few more bricks out of our self-protective walls and say, God, I'm obviously not there yet. I still feel this way. The more access that we give God, the more he can heal our hearts. Now, I don't know how that works. It's a spiritual thing. It's beyond my capacity to understand. But I do know this. God is a healer. And trust me on this. I've lived this reality more times than I care to admit. God is our only shot at recovering from the horrible things that we may have experienced. He's it. God's our only shot. So embrace that reality. Final reasons we pray for others. Praying for others releases us. Praying for others releases us. What does it release us from? Well, it releases us from the fear of, uh, excuse me, the bondage of feeling we must receive our just due. It releases us from driving ourselves crazy over the past, from not being able to move on. Everybody's heard this idea before, but just because people have heard it doesn't make it any less true. So I'm going to repeat it again today. We don't pray and forgive others because they need it. Most people don't think they need forgiveness anyway. And most people are not particularly interested in righting the wrongs they've done. We pray for others because if we don't, it'll eat us alive. It'll eat us alive. It'll destroy our spirit. It'll crush our soul and it'll wound our heart. No one is the exception to that rule, regardless of the amount of hurt that you may have felt. And that's hard to say, but it's true. Here's something else that's hard for us to accept. We don't release people in prayer to God so that God can then punish them. <laughs> that's kind of a roundabout way of, of doing what we want to do. Well, I can't do it to you, but God's going to do it to you. Sorry, that's not the way God, God works. God doesn't want to punish your aggressor, no matter how much you think they deserve it. God loves them with the same love that he gives all of us. God wants to restore that person so that they don't wound other people anymore. Just the way he wants to restore you so that you can begin to trust again. It's all the same with him. It's the love of God to bring us to a place of health, regardless of which side of that fence we're on, the wounder or the wounded, either way. If we destroy ourselves emotionally and spiritually on the principle of the matter and refuse to give up, that bitterness and resentment, you know, what have we gained? What have we gained? We've gained the shell of a person that we could have been otherwise because we weren't willing to do what God has asked us to do, regardless of how hard it can be. 
So people ask me sometimes, because I love music and I listen to a lot of music, um, what's one of the most spiritually important songs I've ever heard? And I want to share one of those with you today because it talks about this topic of praying for others, forgiving others, things like that. And it's not in a hymnal. It's not, it's not on Caleb. It's not. It's a song called Forgiveness, and it's by a band from the 90s called Collective Soul. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a great band. They're really good, technically proficient. In 1993, Collective Soul rose to fame on actually a demo version of a song called Shine, and it blew up all over the radio. Everybody knew that song. They then put out a second album where they had like four or five number one hits, right? Big album sales, lots of opportunity to make a lot of money. And people assumed that these guys were just rolling around in money because of all the success that they'd had and selling millions of albums. The truth is, they had a shyster of a manager who was keeping all their money and all the guys in the band were still living in the basements of their parents' home, literally in their parents' basement. Not, not just a funny thing to say, a literal reality for these guys. And so they go back to this manager and they say, hey man, you owe us at least the royalties based on our contract, right? And so this guy retaliates by canceling all their upcoming shows and tours and taking them to court for three years. That was his response. So this song, Forgiveness, came out of that situation. In the middle of all the madness, in the first or second year they were going through all these things, the band rents a cabin out on 40 acres of land. They take all the recording equipment out there and they um, record a, a new album. And this song is on that album. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of it for you right now for you to, to hear. And then we're going to talk about it. beautiful song, isn't it? Peaceful. It's, it's a rock song, but there's this sense of calm, maybe like they figured something else out and that they're, they're confident in that, that quiet strength and the reality of what they know. It's a great song. Everything we've talked about this morning is in the simple lyrics of this song. So I'm going to take you guys through them real quick, and then we're going to look at them. And then, you know, maybe look, listen to the song, look it up and use that as your mantra, maybe for finding your way towards forgiveness and praying for others. So in the first verse, it says, in my silence, I would love to forget. Wouldn't, wouldn't everybody? <laughs> but restitution, karma, justice hasn't come quite yet. And with one accord, I keep pushing forward and I stretch my heart to heal 
some more. You know, in those moments of silence when we're alone, that's usually when those haunt, those hurts come back to haunt us, right? They come back, they wash over us and replay themselves in our mind, and they consume us unless we stop the cycle and pray for those who have spitefully used us. Karma isn't coming. Sorry. It's not coming. It rarely does. Just accept it. But in prayer, we reach out to God and we push to remove those bricks out of the wall of protection that we built. We speak that aggressor's name. We speak that assailant's name. We speak that person that caused us harm. We speak it out loud because when you speak it out loud, you remove its power. You divest it of its power. And then we confess that we're still struggling. God, I'm still struggling. I didn't realize I was still struggling. I thought I was past this. Here I am again. Same thing. I pray for so-and-so. And I pray for me to release so-and-so, right? That's why the song says we stretch our hearts to heal some more. It's hard work. It's hard work. And it takes time. Here's the course. It used to be that all I'd want to learn was wisdom and trust and truth. Now all I really want to learn is forgiveness for you. I love that simple, simple course. That's it. He just says, look, here's what I used to think was important when I was young. But now I know what's really important is the ability to forgive and move on and keep living life and not be stuck in the past. Here's the beauty of that thought. As we get older, we begin to understand that what must happen in order for life to be meaningful, that those are the things that we need to do. And we gain that understanding as we grow. We used to think that it was knowledge or professional clout. We used to think that having answers or championing a particular truth um, was an idea or our particular cause. But in the end, it's forgiveness and the ability to release heartache, embrace the, embrace the good in, that makes life meaningful and move on. We need to just be released. And the last verse, as my seasons change, I've now grown to know what one's heart creates, one's soul doesn't owe. So I wash away the stains of yesterday and then I tempt my heart with love's display. So here's that idea again of growth, bringing us to a better understanding of what really matters. And this second idea, this is important. And it's hard. It's a hard idea to grasp, but it's really important that you understand it and that we all get this. When our hearts feel tragedy and create pain and feel the loss associated with what others have done, our souls and our spiritual well-being do not owe their health to that. The pain that we feel is not what we have to hold on to in the end. We don't have to give ourselves to it. It doesn't have to become our identity and it doesn't have to crush the reality of who we truly are as people. If holding on to your pain kills you, then what have you gained? You've gained a, a, a bitter life, a bitter life without meaning. Listen up. You do not owe your soul, to the pain others have caused you. That's a wonderful way to give people power that they don't have over to you. That belongs to Jesus. You're divesting God 
and giving it to that other person. And it's far outside the bounds of what God has asked us to do as people. Turn to God. Tempt your heart with the love that he can give you, with the hope that things will get better. See him stepping over that pile of bricks that you've been taking down over months and months, maybe years and years, walking in and giving you a big bear hug. Last thought this morning. There's some irony in that, that chorus. We don't have to really trade wisdom and trust and truth in order to move on. It seems like the way it's written that it does. Now, you know, I understand forgiveness, but, you know, wisdom and trust and truth aren't necessary as long as I, it's not the way it really works. If you learn this, you gain this. By learning forgiveness, we learn wisdom, trust, and truth. A healed heart can receive wisdom and trust and truth. A broken heart cannot. Do you want to know wisdom? Start with forgiveness. Start right there. Do you want to gain uh, or regain trust? Pray for those who have spitefully used you. Praying for people does not condone the behavior, but it releases you from the destruction that it causes in your heart. And that's the reason that you do it. Do you want truth in your life? Let down those walls and allow the God of truth to embrace you and just be released. Amen.